Yeah. I know some of the some of the young kids think they were sitting over here the first day when it was my 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 character's day to get angry. Um, I I, I might have gone a little overboard. Um, and some of the kids over here were scared enough, but the next day I got to be a little, I got to be angry that I had nothing to be angry over. Um, and I think being out in the, in the commons area is good for the character so that kids know that when we're smiling, I mean, I'm all red faced, but I'm smiling. It was, it was good to be, it was, it was fun. We had a lot of, we had a lot of fun. The Bible lesson time was really good. Pastor Chris um, handled most of the things for the third through fifth graders. I was in there with him. Um, and I was really impressed with not only what he taught, but, uh, but how the kids responded. So I'm going to give you a couple of, couple of things so that you know what we discussed during Vacation Bible School. And then I've got a, uh, two stories for you. One will be up on the screen. The other um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read right at the end to try to encourage all of us, not just the kids. Um, so the first day, we talked about anger. Now, by the way, this, this, uh, this movie that we kind of grabbed the characters from, we didn't redo the movie in any sense, but Inside Out, I'm going to just say, I don't normally do this from the front, but it is my favorite animated movie that I've ever watched, mainly because my wife, is she exudes joy all the time. And... and and in the movie, Joy, it looks like Joy is going to be the hero. Um, and it turns out that sorrow is. It's, it talks about the importance of sorrow and that joy without sorrow is, is lacking. But there's anger, there's disgust, there's fear, uh, and then there's, we, we called her sadness, but it's really talking about deep sorrow, um, loss. So the first day we concentrated on fear and we talked through uh, the story of the prodigal son. Now that's a misnomer, we, we named that passage, I think, wrongly, uh, because prodigal means extravagant. And yes, the son said to his dad, you're dead to me, I want your money. And he took off and he spent it wildly. Um, but when he, came, when he finally came to a census and he came home, his dad was waiting for him and he ran out to meet him. And a Jewish man doesn't run, by the way. That's very undignified. But he ran out to meet him and he threw him a party. And he said, put a ring on his finger and kill the fat, fattened calf. Um, so the dad who gave away a third of his income or a third of, every, of his net worth to his son so that he could go squander it, when he came back, loved him all the more. And then the other son, the, the good one, was also lost um, because he, he had his relationship with his father and his view of his, his brother were very, were, they seemed righteous, but they weren't. So the son that stayed home and got mad at his brother for coming home um, and that he got a party kind of went to his dad and he said, this son, that son of yours, he wouldn't even call him his own brother. Um, excuse me, something just... I have hearing aids and I just had my phone, Lynn, would you just click that shut or just turn it off? My phone thought that I said Siri and it went bloop, bloop. <laughs> so just hold, hold the buttons down and turn it off. Thank you. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm the only one that could hear it, but trust me, it was there. <laughs> So the older brother um, was angry and he wouldn't even call his, his, his return brother who he should have been praying for would not even uh, wouldn't acknowledge the fact that, that it's good that he's home but instead felt gypped because his dad never gave him what he gave to his 
now returned brother. And he was angry. So we talked a lot about anger and what does it mean? Uh, is anger a bad thing? Well, scripture says, in your anger, do not sin. It doesn't tell us not to get angry. But we can know that most of the time when we're angry, when we get that emotion, when it, when it really comes up, it's probably something coming from something below the waterline, something a little deeper, something, something we've been mistreated or we didn't get what we wanted or we experienced something that wasn't fair or people decided to think in a way that we think is wrong but they think is right and so it, it wells up in us sometimes it's, it's it's anxiety sometimes it's worry sometimes it's other things might make us angry we talk through to be slow to anger and how to how to do it. if you get angry with someone um how would god have us behave how would god have us respond well we're going to get angry but if we let our anger rule us then we and those around us will be miserable so we talked a little bit about um slowing down doing what your grandma used to teach count to 10 or as pastor chris said count to 10 or maybe 50 or maybe 500 when you really get that bad and there's actually a scientific reason behind that wisdom there's a part of your brain we call the lizard brain the amygdala that can get hijacked when you see something or something 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 happens that's similar to something you've happened before that's happened before and it was a negative experience your brain gets triggered your amygdala gets triggered and it makes it so that all you can do is act on instinct anger fear fight flee freeze that's what your brain that's what your brain does but it's really cool. The prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that actually has rational thought, if you just pause and wait, be slow to anger, as God would tell us, then you, you, can, get, you, you, can, you can undo the hijacking of your brain and start to think reasonably. And one of the things we talked about with the third through fifth graders that, that we do when we're angry is if someone angered us, someone hurt us, and that made us angry, we try to remember why that person is important to us. We try to remember when it was good. We try to remember a birthday party. We try to remember a time when we were laughing together because it's really hard to be angry with someone that you actually start feeling love for again. So that's day one. Um, day two was fear. And we talked about uh, the story of Jesus walking on water and he, he had sent the disciples off. And then he, he went away to pray and he came out and he was walking on the water. And I love the passage. It, it says he was, Jesus was walking on the water and he was about to pass them by, which I think is hilarious because I don't know if he's ducking behind the waves or what, but, but Jesus was just going to keep on going to the other shore. But the disciples see him. They get terrified. They get scared. They get, they get more. I mean, there's a guy walking on water. It freaked me out too. Um, and, and Jesus there's an exchange between him and Peter. He says, you know, why, why, don't, you believe, why don't you have faith? And Peter says, well, if, tell me to come to you. So Peter gets out of the boat, walks on water, but then sees the wind and the waves. And so he took his eyes off Jesus and he looked around and started to sink. And Jesus reached down and he saved him. It's a great story. The only other person in the history of humanity that's ever walked on water is Peter, but he's called a man of little faith. I don't know, I don't know if that's, I don't know, I don't, I, he got out of the boat, that's a pretty good deal. But fear, what is it about fear? I, I think, and this is what we're gonna concentrate on today, um, and I'll, I'll give you the others here in a second, but, but I think fear is the, is the currency or the commodity that's traded in our world more than anything else. We're told, I, I said this last week, but my father-in-law was here a couple of weeks ago and he, was, he would turn the news on in the evening and then one day I walked by and I said, hey, so what are we supposed to be mad at and afraid of today? And he just said, everything. 
Now, he was joking, and so was I, but that's what, that's what the world is trying to convince us of, to be, to be afraid and to be, to be fearful, to be angry, or at least be suspicious. And the interesting thing is that Scripture never tells us to be that way. It doesn't mean that we won't be afraid. It doesn't mean we won't be scared. And it doesn't mean that we won't be suspicious. But we're never told that it is a godly thing to be perpetually afraid, to be perpetually suspicious, and to, be, uh, and, and to, and to always be angry. The third day was disgust. That was my favorite day because Bree did such a great job. <laughs> Ew. She's amazing. Every, every time she has a character, she goes, she goes all in and she just does a great job. But we, the, the disgust, um, the Bible story was the, good, the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. When a guy uh, was traveling on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, he gets, uh, he gets hijacked by or mugged by robbers and left on the road half dead. And a very religious man came by, a priest came by, and, and he had lots of good reasons why not to help the man, so he passed him by. The next one was a Levite as a servant to the priests and he came by and he, and he noticed and he took he, he, he took notice but the guy was bloody and beat up it could have been a trap and he was going to become unclean so he kind of disgusted walked on by and then Jesus tells the story of, of a man who was the enemy of the Jewish people a Samaritan a Samaritan would never be the the hero of a Jewish story ever in fact, the Samaritan, if you tell the story, the priest, the Levite, is supposed to be a Pharisee. That's what's supposed to be what's next. But it's a Samaritan. And he helps the man, even though he, I'm sure, was disgusted by it. He helped him. He put him on his own donkey, own donkey took, him to a, uh, took him to an inn, paid the innkeeper, left and said, um, if, I'll come back. And if there's any other expense to you for this man's care, I will, I will pay for it. Don't, don't charge him. And we, we were kind of reminded that that even though there are people in the world that think differently than we do, there are people in the world that look differently than we do, there are people in the world that smell differently than we do, that use language that's different than the language we use, we're not supposed to be disgusted at another human being. Now, yes, if you run into someone that has an open boil and there's pus coming out of their arm, ugh, I get it. But people aren't supposed to be treated like they don't matter. People matter to God and he wants them to matter to us because we represent him. The last one was sorrow and joy, or really, I guess, sadness and joy. But, but we, in, in, with the third through fifth graders, we, we walked through, and this is the story of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. And the people, when they saw the one they followed for three years die, they thought everything was gone. The whole world was upended for them. And then on the third day, so about 36 hours later, they go to the tomb and it's empty. And the stone was rolled away. They walk in, they see that it's empty. And I just want you to know, I'm sure you already do, but the stone wasn't moved away so that Jesus could come out. It was moved away so that we could witness that it's empty. Because if the spirit of God can raise Jesus from the dead, he doesn't need to move a rock to get him out. And we talked about the importance of sorrow. Sadness, sadness is, is kind of dependent on circumstances, just like happiness is. If you get an A on a test, you're going to be happy. If you studied hard and you get an F, you're not going to be happy. You're going to be sad. And they're related to sorrow and to joy, but sorrow and joy are related to one another because they both tell us what's important. So if I, sorrow has to do with something important and I lost it. So I, I talked about my, one of my best friends, Troy Doctor, who died a couple of summers ago after a six-year bout with cancer. He's 47 years old. 
when he died. And, that, and, and, and just, a, just a, remembering all the great times that we had together, remember the great talks, remember sitting in his hospital room when he got the diagnosis, remembering all of that brings me great, not, not the diagnosis, but it brings me great joy that I had that time with, with Troy. But he's gone. And he left three kids and a widow. And that's sorrow. It's something important that's gone. And joy is there's something important that still remains. So that's what we talked about this week. And it was, it was good. It was fun. We laughed a lot. Kurt might recover. And I'm not talking about his nose. I'm talking about his rock star jumps off the stage. Um, you guys know he has an artificial hip, right? Might be two next week. Um, <laughs> so I, I want to... I want to give you, I want to, I want to tell you two stories, and I really want to talk about this fear thing, and for the kids and for the adults. Um, the, the passage that's on the back of everybody's shirt is from Proverbs 3, and it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, he'll make your path straight. But that own understanding piece is a really hard thing for humanity to get, for, for us as humans to get our heads around, um, because we think we get it. We think we understand. We can see the writing on the wall, so to speak. We can, we, can, we can watch the news and we hear what we're being told and we either choose to believe it or not, but either way it's gonna make us upset, frustrated, fearful, or suspicious. So what does God say about fear? Well, it's a very familiar story. We preached on it earlier this year, but it's a story about Jesus. Says It's from Mark chapter four. This one will be up on your screen. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, uh, they, took him, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. Just so you know, in Greek, the word there for that storm is earthquake. It's a big deal. The furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion and the disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? I'm a quick story. A couple of years ago uh, in a fishing tournament, my fishing partner and I were up at Torch Lake. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's, I think it's the second largest natural lake as far as volume is concerned. Uh, in the United States, natural lake, um, way up, way, way up north, and it's set up in such a way that if the wind wind comes off Lake Michigan in just just the right way, and, it, and the wind builds up, it will make it's treacherous. We were in a 17 foot bass boat, and uh, we we were in four foot swells. Now I know you might think I'm exaggerating, but I have witnesses, and uh, we we decided it was no longer safe for us to be there, so we decided to tra traverse across the lake and then try to find calmer water to get off the lake to get back into Skegamog. And um, when we started taking off, we told a, another, another boat, keep an eye on us. If we go under, call someone. Um, so so we, we get and we go across and we're, we're, we're riding the, what's called the trough. So if you have a wave over here and a wave over here and the wind's blowing this way, you try to get down in there and ride it as smooth. Um, and that worked okay, but we, we disappeared from the guys that were watching us for two minutes. The waves were high enough that we disappeared in the boat down in the trough. And then we started heading back. Well, we didn't find the calm water that we wanted. We speared two waves, ankle deep in the boat. Um, both of us had all our Gore-Tex on. It was, it was about 40 degrees out. It's very cold, but we had strapped down the, um, the, the life jackets, the whole deal, and we, we made it. But I did not want to come home and tell my wife the peril we had been in. 
Now that's a fiberglass boat with a 115 horsepower engine in the back made for water. These men were in a boat that they made with their own hands out of sticks and thatch and pitch and wood. And they're out and this squall comes up. I've been in a spot like that. Pieces of the boat are falling apart. Not like when we speared a wave and it comes over and, and the, the throwable, the little square flotation cushion is, is now on top of my feet because it's floating in the water. Not that kind of thing. Pieces of the boat are floating away. It's that kind of a storm. And they go and wake up Jesus and they say, don't you care if we die? And he got up. I just love how it's such an understatement. He got up, he rebuked, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? And even the wind and the waves obey him. Folks, <laughs> notice that they were afraid for their lives that God, Jesus, God in a bod, that Jesus wouldn't do anything. So first they're afraid of the storm, and then he does something, and now they're terrified of Jesus. See, sometimes we want God to act, and when he does, it makes us even more afraid. But scripture, 365 times in scripture, we're told, fear not, do not be afraid, or we're asked, why are you afraid? 365 times, that's kind of convenient once for every day of the week. Now kids and adults, I'm gonna ask you to do something. If you're a follower of Christ, I'm just gonna ask you to do this. If you're not, check my wisdom on this because it's scriptural. Look at the world, listen to it, listen to the news, watch the television shows, whatever it might be, don't look at Twitter. It's always so pleasant and uplifting, so I don't want... Look and see if, if, if what's being sold, what the currency of the day is, look and see if it isn't fear. It almost certainly is. It's fear or suspicion or accusation. And God calls his people, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Whose understanding should we trust? When I see what they're telling me, I have an emotional response. Sometimes it's anger, sometimes it's fear, oftentimes it's disgust. Very seldom is it joy. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I always miss one. What was it? What did I miss? You weren't listening? <laughs> Pastor Kurt, not listening, got it. <laughs> All right. God does, and I'm not saying that fear isn't good, it is. It tells you if there's a saber-toothed tiger coming to kill you. But we don't have many of those around anymore. And our world is in pretty good shape, even though we had this horrible pandemic, this thing that killed many. Um, one of my dearest friends, Tom Wenzel, it, it killed him for six minutes and they brought him back, but he has permanent damage. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing the severity of this disease. But when there is something that you have no control over, it's easy to get afraid, terrified, to be absolutely paralyzed. The amygdala gets hijacked and we don't have where the, I think the spirit resides. We don't have control over certain things, but we know the one who does. And that should bring confidence. That should bring strength. That should bring courage. And that should bring joy. Because joy is what is most important to us that we still have. 
See, we're told to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for the one who promised is faithful. And this is not a new theme in the New Testament with the stories of Jesus. It goes back. You probably have heard of the book of Daniel. And Daniel, um, he, they, the, the people of God had not, had not celebrated the jubilee that they were supposed to, so God allowed them to go into captivity. God allowed what he could have prevented. Um, and he allowed them to go into captivity for years and he told them that while you're there, I want you to love the people. I want you to flourish there. If you flourish, they will flourish. And they had this king, Nebuchadnezzar, who was a demon-worshiping king. He was a horrible, horrible man, and he did horrible, horrible things. Now, God ended up converting the man, changing everything, and he made a worldwide declaration that the God of the Israelites is the one true God. But in the midst of all of that, we hear about Daniel, and God gives him dreams, and Daniel um, has some interactions with the king and ends up being one of his, one of his great advisors. And then the king decides that he is the most important person on the planet and he erects this huge golden statue of himself and he demands that everybody on the, in the known world bow down and worship him. And there were these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were told to bow down and worship and they said, nope, you must or you'll die. Nope. Nebuchadnezzar got furious, I mean absolutely furious to the point where there was this huge furnace where they were burning people alive and he, and he had it turned up as high as it would go. And I wanna just tell you what happened in that story. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned, summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you, are to serve, or that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zith, zither, I don't know how to say it, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from, from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. And most of you know that story. You know what happened. There were three that were thrown in, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But when they looked through that tiny little window to see these people being burned alive, there was a fourth person in there with them. It's the second person of the Trinity. That's a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ one who looks like the son of man. So here's these people facing certain death. And they say, we, the one thing we know that will, that, will, that will save our lives is to bend our knee. Even if we pretend we'll be saved, they say, we won't do it. See, they trusted in the Lord with all their heart and leaned not on their own understanding. In all their ways, they acknowledged him even to the point of death. And he made their path straight. It says when they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. No, no, no fringe on their garments was even burned. Now, we might, many might look at this and go, that's kind of a fairy tale. It's not. God is God. And if he created all things, then he can control the laws that he set up to govern the universe, including physics and thermodynamics. 
the God of the universe can say nope and yep anytime he wants. So if fear is being sold to us, it's being, it's being, it's, we're being told that we must be afraid, angry, suspicious, and we must see others as if they don't matter because they're, they disagree with us. And what does God say? Love your enemy. In this world, there'll be trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Love your enemy. Fear not. Have faith. And let him produce in you the fruit that is what we were talking about all week. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. That's inside out. It's not outside in. And God wants to change from within to without instead of having everything without dictate what happens within. If he is Lord of the earth, he is Lord of your heart. And if he's Lord of your heart, then he, he and he alone can change how you interact with, how you view, and how you, how you, how you experience the world. Look, our emotions are good, every one of them, but they are untrustworthy because sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes I'm offended and I didn't need to be. Sometimes I, take, I, I, I feel insulted and it wasn't the intent. Sometimes I feel something towards someone that isn't legitimate. My, my emotions are good, but they're not trustworthy. But the one who made the emotions is always trustworthy, always right, always consistent, always faithful. So trust in him with everything you have. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bless you, praise you, thank you, because you're God and we're not. We thank you for anger. We thank you for fear. We even thank you for disgust. But mostly, Lord, we thank you for sorrow and joy that we can look at what you did for us and feel great sorrow, but at the same time, because you took the sting out of death, experience unthinkable joy. Join us, Lord, as we worship. Join us as we commission the middle school uh, mission trip to Anvil, and join us as we go through our week, living our lives, trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen.